It's Coffee Club time! It's time now for the Wednesday Morning Coffee Club. Welcome to the Wednesday Morning Coffee Club with Bill and Jenny Sparks, Dave and Chris Rickard, Tim Oni, and the crew. Bill will be taking your phone calls and you will hear lots of conversation. We will have cooking tips demonstrations of products, and much, much more. And you may reach us by calling 1-646-558-8656. You will need the meeting ID 848-725-450. And when you're asked for a user ID, just press pound. You may download Zoom from the Play Store or the App Store. And now, ladies and gentlemen, Bill Sparks. Well, I guess we have to fill in for Bill Sparks. And just to let everybody know that I did talk to Bill. I know Chris and Dave talked to Bill, and he is doing okay. And uh, Jennifer, I guess you could give us an update on Bill. And the whole panel's here. Welcome, everybody, to the Coffee Club. We have some extra people on the panel today. I want to thank Doug uh, Huntiger for joining us as well. Mike's here. Chris and Dave are here. Tim is here. I'm here. So, and Jennifer's here. So, uh... How about if we do, I guess, why don't we go around the panel and see what's going on. What's going on out there in Altoona, Pennsylvania with Chris and Dave? Well, not a whole lot. We just got our second vaccine yesterday, and today we're making pizza. I just put the crust in the pan after I rolled it out and all that good stuff. And it's just pretty much a normal week here. And so... Let's see, pepperoni and mushrooms and mozzarella. Yeah, we had to grate our own cheese because I thought I was buying grated. It didn't say one way or the other, but I thought it was grated. It had buy again on it, so I assumed it was grated. But when I got it, it was a block. Dave Barr is running the controls today. Dave, I'm assuming you're doing okay as well. So, uh... 
Yeah, I'm hanging right in there, better, misbehaving as always, sure but then I wouldn't have it any other way. You better make sure you do what Chris tells you to do now, you know. <laughs> I get that. All right, let's go to, uh, let's see, how about if we go to Indianapolis, in, I'm sorry, yeah, let's do that. How about if we go to Indianapolis, Indiana, and talk to the lovely Jennifer Sparks? Good morning, Jenny. Good. I know, but I said Indianapolis anyway. <laughs> Good morning, I, everybody. I told you I'd do it to you today again. Go ahead, Jenny. <laughs> Good morning, everybody. Hope everybody's doing well. Mr. Bill is supposed to be released from the hospital today, believe it or not. I, I'm I'm amazed that he's that it's gone that fast. You know, I I assumed that it would be Thursday at the earliest that they would let him out, but he's he's says he's coming out there. It's going to release him today. And of course, you you worked were at the hospital to visit him as well, Jen, Jenny. Oh yeah, we went and yesterday they had him off all the oxygen and everything and. You know, because his lungs, they, I didn't realize, but during the surgery, they deflate your lungs and they can only inflate them to like two thirds of their normal capacity. So he has to use a, oh, do breathing exercises to inflate them the rest of the way. And he got it yesterday up to the, past the mark that they wanted him to reach on that little machine. So he's doing good. Well, that's great. I'm glad to hear that. I know he's going to be happy to go home. I told him, I told him, on, I told him, I, told, I called, called one of the nurses at the hospital. Of course, they're not really allowed to tell you anything, but they did tell me that he's doing okay. And I said, just make sure he doesn't flirt with all those young nurses. And she laughed at me. She said, thank you very much, Jeff. <laughs> so I, I probably got him in trouble with you now, but, uh, Jennifer. So. <laughs> oh, no, I know he's a flirt. He had his favorite nurses on every, you know, in every room. He had his favorite ones, so. Well, go ahead, Chris. The ones that liked cats. Yeah, the ones that liked cats. When I knew he was going to be okay, when I went to see him Friday night after surgery, when they finally let us go see him at almost 5 o'clock, and he was telling me, oh, my nurse has a cat. Boy, that's great, Jenny. And I'm so glad. You, and I told Bill, you know, when you get home, I, I know you want to get back and you want to chomp at the bit. But, you know, take it lazy for a little bit. You know, oh, you've, got, you, you've got plenty of good people on the legend who are going to be willing to help you out. And you know yeah. that. So that's cool. Thank We're you, Jenny. We're going to have to oh, really watch him. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. Tim, what's going on in Minneapolis, Minnesota? I got a plunger ready to help, help you with your plumbing if you need it, Tim. Well, it's not the plunger. It's... Uh... Actually, leaking pipes. So uh, anyway, uh, not too much else going on around here, but I'm not going to be on my regular show today because of the uh, plumber situation. And uh, it's uh, raining and it's supposed to rain all day today. We're supposed to get about half an inch of rain. We already got half an inch yesterday or more than that. So, uh, but that's all right. I guess we need it. You know, Tim, they got the plumber at your house, so there goes your there goes your stimulus checks. It's exactly right. Um, <laughs> not it, funny. Not funny. Going I know. through it pretty quick here. Anyway, uh, hopefully, and I get my second shot on Friday. So hopefully, it won't be too much. 
too annoying. <laughs> well, I'm sure you'll do okay, Tim. All right, now we have two more people to go. Let's talk to Mike out in uh, out in Evansville, Indiana. Good morning, Mike. Uh, good morning, everyone. Um, yeah, just getting a lot of new work uh, through people I met in Clubhouse, and we've been no- networking, so I've been asked to do a lot more copywriting, uh, which maybe you give you an example. In terms of radio, that would be like 30 and 60 second uh, ads, a text for them, and uh, websites usually about 300 words, kind of describing what the company offers or sells. Uh, tomorrow, going to see family in Belleville, Illinois. Haven't seen them, of course, um, since the pandemic began, so it's been over two years. Looking forward to that. And um, yeah, just taking care of business and, and uh, kind of gearing up here. I had an account open with Voke Rehab when I did the Salesforce training, and now they say they will support me in my entrepreneurial venture since I do have clients and I'm actually making money with it. So I'm trying to compile a list of what I might ask for to help me with the business. I'm trying to see how that process goes, but uh, that's what's going on here. Ah, very good, Mike. And uh, that might that might be something that we could talk about after we get to the panel here, and because I because the, the, there are there are techniques you use to get work and do things like that. So, and thank you, Mike. Um, Doug, uh, it's great to hear you on here. Um, I, I'm, I'm glad you're able to get up early in the morning to join us on the Coffee Club. Good morning, Doug. Good morning, all. I hope this thing's working. It's working. It's working. Great. Um, actually, I woke up at like eight oh two this morning. Got up, fed the cats. Made coffee, made my breakfast, and uh, managed to make it here semi on time. So I hope everybody's having a good day. And uh, Jenny, I talked to Bill yesterday too. He's starting to sound a lot better. Yeah. So uh, that's always good news. Yeah, he sounded a lot better than he did when I talked to him like a day or two earlier. So uh, I can tell you that, Doug. So uh, hey, uh, and and great to have you on the panel this morning, Doug. We really could use your help today. Thank you. I we re- and we all appreciate uh, uh, what you, the work you you do. And thank you very much, Doug. I appreciate it. I could use my help today. I'm a little slow starting. <laughs> yeah, well, I, 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 we get that, Doug. We get that. Thank you, Doug. Thank you very much. Now we have two hands raised. We have one from Jerry and one from Joe. So we'll get to you, Joe, in Ma- and right, Massachusetts, out in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Can you unmute yourself, please? Hello. Good morning. Well, it is 37 degrees. Wind is blowing from the east, 33 miles per hour, and it is snowing. Something unusual here. And we're happy to see that Bill is doing that great. They can do a lot of things today in medical technology to keep people go and keep that heart beating and don't forget you get your first vaccine shot oh i i I had my first vaccine shot on on monday and it's 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 actually the same results that i get from 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 a flu shot a little little discomfort so i'm I'm having the second one on april 19th so away vaccination row here we go all right, thank you, Joe, and please, uh, please stick around, and I'm sure we'll, we'll be talking to you more throughout the meeting. Next on our list of people who is uh, up up next is a guy from Indiana, not Indiana, the state of Indiana, but Indiana, Pennsylvania. Good morning, Jerry. Unmute yourself, please. Good morning, everybody. Hey, it's great news about Bill. It's great he's coming home today, and, uh, you know, we serve an awesome God. I mean, uh, we, we've been all praying for him and everything like that. 
And uh, it's 53 degrees here in the Christmas Street capital of the world. Going to rain most of the day, but I heard it's going to 76 tomorrow. I uh, hope to get out and maybe sit on the back porch swing for the first time this year. And, uh, Doug, I was never able to get WCNS on my Google device. So I'm going to have to call Google and see what the heck's going on with them and see what I can do with that. And uh, have a great day, everybody. All right. Thank you very much, uh, uh, Jerry. I appreciate all the work listening. I know you do, you and Judy. I hope you guys are doing okay. Thank you. You know, We're doing what are the. Thank you. You know, one of the things we talk about, and I know, Chris, I, I think we were talking about this on the phone, but it really is important, especially if you can't see it and you have to figure out ways to do things. It's thinking out of the box and figuring out how to do things a lot of times. And I know for myself, I talk myself into a job by thinking out of the box. Uh, and with me, um, I was working for Easter Seals of Central New York. And I was asked to talk about accessibility for museums in New York State or, and state parks. And one of the individuals that I was talking to said, well, look, I'm going to show you this. This is a wine glass. It was made in 1618 or 1619. If we let a lot of people touch that wine glass, it could break, it could shatter, or it could fall apart. It, it is so delicate that, that even letting you touch it is, is a challenge because we don't want it to break. What would you do? in order to give someone who was totally blind that same accessible experience. And I thought for a second, I said, well, how about just give me one second. And I said, why not take that wine glass and make a mold of it and make an exact replica of that wine glass out of a heavy duty plastic, that, but somebody that would feel the same way as the wine glass. And the deputy commissioner was sitting next to me. He says, would you like a job working for state parks and recreation? We need someone who can do public relations and help us write press releases and that stuff. And that got me into a job. And all, that, that's the idea of what I mean by thinking out of the box. So I, I'm gonna, I know I'm putting you on the spot, Mike, but maybe you could talk about this and maybe can be, be talk about this on the panel because it is important to be able to think out of the box, even more today than ever. Well, kind of what happened, I know some folks in here are using Clubhouse and what it was really designed for was kind of networking and people in business and to kind of promote themselves and network and meet like-minded people or meet new potential clients. But what happened for me was I kind of gambled, you know, there's a lot of people when you're in business and you're a little insecure and you're afraid to share contacts and, and so forth. Maybe people that are working for you or with you, you're afraid that they'll take competition, you know, work away from you. But actually, by sharing, I shared my person who does video and graphics and stuff and web design. And so it was a favor to him. He's appreciative because he got a lot more work. Uh, I've helped other, you know, blind entrepreneurs take their website work to a new level. And it hasn't cost me work. I've actually gotten more work from it because all of them are interested in my services, in particular copywriting. Um, but also then people... You know, they're looking at, at my site. So it's a win-win and you have to get past that fear of that you're, you're biting yourself in the foot with the competition. So when you work together, there's enough work for all of us. So, but yeah, you have to be thinking out of the box. I'm working on a new project to try. I'm uh, checking the feasibility of it, of creating a business, uh, allowing people to do both to merge in-person and online events. I think that's really going to be a big future, right? So it's a couple thousand dollar expenditure on my part to do that. So I have to gamble. Is it as big as I think it's going to be? 
which I really think it is going to be a big thing going forward. I think even just as an example, our blindness organizations, you know, when convention goes from 3,000 to 8,000, they realize, hey, there's some people that just aren't going to come in person. Uh, so if we can do the best of both worlds or even use the online portion to bring in presenters who can't come on site, but then I also have to look at how many other people are thinking the same thing I am. And as soon as I launch this, are there going to be other, you know, how much competition am I going to have? And I have really big, large companies to contend with, but I really believe that's the future. And that's an exact great example. I think of thinking out of the box, looking at future need and stepping up. So, I mean, that's just kind of where I am, but. Well, you said you're spending a couple of thousand dollars. What kind of things are you having to purchase for this? Um, building a dedicated app for iOS and Android that will allow, I know some of you did the conventions last year. Remember we had the app where you could sign up and, and network or talk to other people at the event. So what I want to do is build something. I found a great developer to do this so that you could basically uh, sign up for the event, attend the events. It would interface with either Zoom, uh, Microsoft Teams or Google Meet so that you basically do everything through the app. You could sign up, you could attend the events, you could set up notifications so it would tell you five minutes before any particular event that you wanted to attend. Uh, you know, you could put a little bit of contact information in there, a little bio about yourself. Uh, so essentially kind of, you know, the next generation of kind of what even the NFB tried to do last summer and others are trying try to make one app where everyone can do the whole convention registration and attendance process well mike we all wish you well on this um, i'm hoping you i'm hoping that you that you do that you're very very successful at this business and uh because i know that you've been putting a lot of work and effort into uh, doing websites you and brian have put a lot of work into it and i and this is a pretty cool thing mike i totally agree chris what about you in thinking out of the box because you were you, you worked as a counselor maybe you could talk some of the stuff that you did over the years well, you always have to think out of the box because when you go into people's houses, they have different equipment. They're not always going to be able or want to go out and buy an exact thing like you're used to working with. So you have to think, you know, what have they got that they could make this work with? But here lately, we had an issue where it was very hard to get around in the snow and ice. We had so much of it a couple times that it just obliterated every landmark we had, physical landmark. And so we got on Amazon and found a key finder. And it is a transmitter with six receivers it all works off the same transmitter. There's six buttons in the shape of a Braille cell, actually. So I read some Q&A, and they said it was really loud. I forget the decibel level, but it was up there pretty good. So we decided to order the key finder, and instead of using it as a item locator, well, it kind of is, but we put one in the mailbox at the end of the driveway, one in about the middle of the driveway on a bench, and one at the top of the driveway on the house. And that way, when we do get out in a big, open, barren landscape with snow and ice, we can actually get some direction about where we're going. But they had no clue that you could use 
that for that sort of thing but that's what we're using it for and I actually got on and wrote a review about it and told them that we had a bit of a different use and told them briefly what that was we we haven't done a demo on that but we will well you know what they say Chris necessity is the mother of invention and and you use that uh, you know for you know for doing all you're so independent about I mean I I always joke around with you because I'm not really a cook but you you do so, so much that uh, I'm always just amazed when you say, well, I'm making pizza today or, or I'm doing this today in the kitchen or I'm doing that today in the kitchen. I'm, I'm, lucky, I'm, I'm lucky if I can boil water. No, I'm not, I'm not it's, that it's, bad. It's <laughs> just like when we install or Dave, actually, when I, I'll be like David Venable. When I say we, I mean Dave. When we install that smart bidet, you know, um, I could probably do it now. Could I have done it then? Uh, maybe not. But, you know, I'm good at that. I'm good at the cooking part. He's good at the fixing and making something work part. Well, that's interesting because I want to ask Dave a question about that as well. Dave, you worked in broadcasting and stuff, and obviously, you know, when you got into it, there wasn't a thing. as they, People didn't think about accessibility. So how did you make it work for you? You, you obviously are, are talented with your hands. You can build. You can do a bunch of stuff. Maybe you can talk a little bit about that. Well, I used a lot of <laughs> a lot of Braille paper and a Braille writer and label guns and all kinds of stuff. <laughs> he had to find a way to make the logs and find the correct cassettes or whatever they were using, records, albums, whatever. How would you handle the automation of the character? Um, when I first started in radio, it was really interesting because when I first started at WKMC, they didn't think that a blind person could work at the radio station. So they purchased all this equipment and put it in my house with a microwave system to transmit to the uh, radio station. So, but when I did my first broadcast, I said, I would like to see if I can run the board and stuff like that. And they said, okay, we'll give it a whirl. Well, as it turned out, I didn't even need that broadcast equipment because I was able to, to uh, you know, I memorized all the pots and everything on the board and everything. So I didn't really have a, a problem. Wow. That's pretty good, but then, but didn't you also do work as an engineer as well for the radio station at times? Yes, I did uh, broadcast engineering and repairing, servicing the transmitters and cart machines and well. Sometimes while he was on the air. Uh. Yeah. Hey, Dave, it's always about eating with you, you know, pots and pans. What can I say? At least the pots. <laughs> at least the pot. Yeah. Well. Yeah, but you can before? pan the audio, right? <laughs> could yeah and and he also installed satellite receivers you're right i was gonna ask you about that dave because you installed satellite receivers and that had i mean you're going into someone's home and you're blind and that had to be a challenge because when the when the people booked for your services to do that they didn't necessarily know that you couldn't see they must have been saying i I, saying to themselves is this just going to wreck my home? What's you know? How, how did you handle that? Well, it did cause some problems sometimes because um, people would start asking questions. Well, if you're blind, how can you get a picture? And and I would just tell them I can hear it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes uh, I would stick my neck out and and I would tell them 
if I don't get you a good picture, you don't have to pay for the system. Well, fortunately, that never happened. So that that was a good thing. I mean, that's it is amazing because we all I think everyone here who's blind has to figure out ways to do things. I mean, I, I worked at the college radio station and had to braille up the carts. And I didn't braille the records because I knew those. But, uh, you know, we always, we always you know, in those days, Dave, you know what it was like in radio. You, you pulled from the front and moved to the back and they rotated the music around. It wasn't computerized today where they where they could do random, random, uh, where they can randomize the lo- loca- location and lo- randomize the music, I should say. So the so there are a lot of things that we didn't have back then. There, there was no Jaws when I was in radio. There was no accessibility. You, you made your own accessibility back then. That's right, because, you know, uh, the, when you pull a record out of a stack, you had to know what the record was, and sometimes you had to ask. And so I would put little marks on the labels so then I could tell, you know, which, one, you know, which ones they were. And that worked out pretty good. Well, then... Um, the last station that I worked at in Williamsport, that is the one that I worked at full-time, they had all cartridges. And so that made it a lot easier. So when you did albums, how did you find the right cut on the album for the song that you wanted? Well, on the albums, actually, if you if you know what number or you have an idea which song it is on the album, you can feel the little places... Uh, in the grooves of the record where each one of those songs start and then you just put the needle in that blank spot and it worked now that's pretty good because i've never been able to do that dave that is actually pretty yeah that's that is interesting because i've never done that i would i would just put a little three by five card on the album you know of the artist and the name of the album and you know maybe there was a couple songs what they were but i would just kind of gotten the art of moving that thing, you know, left and right, and you'd learn kind of how to bring it down right on the second track or the third song or whatever. But uh, You know, that reminds me of an old turntable that my father had. It, it had a sensor, and, and if I said to go to cut three and you use buttons to get to the right, it knew it could read the grooves it could, and it could figure out that this is cut three, and it was pretty good. That was, that was made by Gerard, I think it was, that made that kind of turntable. But that's pretty cool. I like that. Uh, yeah. Beth, go ahead. Go ahead, Tim. I was going to say, I have one of those that uh, techniques made that uh, actually works pretty well. I still have it. And does it do the same thing with the sensor? Yeah, it's got, I think it's got 12, is it 10 or 12 buttons anyway for for cuts? And then you just push the button you want it to go to and it'll find the song. It has, tr- the only time it had trouble was on albums that were weird colors like red vinyl and things like that it would have a little trouble with that but now what does it do with an album where there's even though there are separate cuts but the cuts all run into each other like for example uh, dark side of the moon by pink floyd or, uh, or, or or some of these albums where there aren't any spaces between the cuts or it doesn't seem like there are but obviously there are but how does it handle that it seemed to find them on at least dark side of the moon um of course, it wasn't totally accurate, you know what I mean? It would, and there was an adjustment you could make as far as where it was going to drop as far as catching the beginning of the song or a little into it or right at the end of the last song, things like that. 
the bigger initial challenge when you first started in radio is you had to learn the turntable because you'd have to cue it back a little bit from the beginning so it could get up to speed on times so like belt drives it'd be a half turn and like the you know then you could go to maybe a third of the turn if you had newer tables but then you have so you had to anticipate like so you say 96 rtb and when i'd say six i'd have to start that was a lot of fun because um eventually from cueing them they put some scratches on the records and certain record labels like certain if they used cheaper vinyl you got more cue burn on the records you could hear the noise but if, if you cued records a lot they call it cube burn at the beginning of the record. And some records were just susceptible, and others you didn't get the cube burn. It depends on how the record was pressed and the kind of vinyl used. That's, that's what I noticed a lot when I was working in radio. So that's kind of interesting. Uh, I wanted to ask you, I, I'm going to do this. We do have Beth, as her hand is raised, and I know she would like to talk about uh, one of our blisters named Gail. Gail, can you, uh, I mean, Gail, right. Beth, can you lower, can you uh, unmute yourself, okay, please? Okay, I think I'm unmuted now. You are. Go ahead, Beth. Yeah, Gail ended up in the hospital the last couple of days, actually on Monday, and she's better than I thought she was, but I, but I know that she's having trouble with her platelets going down again, and I'm thinking, well, I don't know what's causing all of that, but she may have to have, I, I might be, I might have misheard this. I hope I haven't, but I mean, in some ways, I hope I have, but she was saying that or her PCA actually called me and told me that she may have to have a few weeks worth of infusion. And I'm not real sure what infusion is all about, but I know it, for, for me, it sounds scary. <laughs> and there is another one, if, it's, if you don't mind, I did get permission. Linda Garris, Alameda Linda, she asked me, last night to let all of you know that she's in the hospital too with some di diabetic, I thought she said ketoacidosis or something like that. I, acetosis, I can't remember exactly what the word was, but it was really kind of a long, kind of a long term. <laughs> they may as well call it supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. <laughs> but no, she asked me to let you know that though, that she's in the hospital may have to be there for a week to 10 days. Well, thank you for letting us know about Gail. And if you talk to Gail again, please tell her that uh, all of us on the coffee club are wishing her a speedy recovery, Beth, okay? I'll for sure do that. And I, I knew that she would want you to know. So she told me yesterday, go ahead and let him know. Maybe the, maybe the only person who I didn't talk about this thinking out of the box, but uh, maybe well, I should, because I know someone who does think out of the box quite a bit is, uh, our own Doug Hunziger. Uh, go ahead, Doug, if you want to talk about this. Maybe you could give us some information about how, what you had to do. Well, back in the day when I first started working for Social Security, we had to depend on uh, sighted people to read everything. Uh, we used to get paper um, queries of information, and we'd get sometimes online stuff. But everything we had to do, we had to have somebody read it to us. And I remember um, I had a Medicare problem for someone who was really difficult, and I had to order the record. I knew this was going to be a public relations problem. And the guy that was going to read me the stuff accidentally tore the record up, and I didn't get to see what it said. So immediately we ordered a new one, and I had told the person, 
you know, we should have it by Monday. I'll call you Monday evening. So I had to call her and tell her something. So I called her and told her that the record arrived, but it was damaged in the mail. I didn't say it was M-A-L-E, but uh, she didn't have to know that. And sometimes you have to think creatively when things go wrong to make them right. <laughs> that kind of thing when, you, when you're doing a job, when, especially when you have to depend on you know, others to do it for you. So what did you do for Social Security? When you, tell us a little bit about what the, work, the kind of work that you did do, Doug. Well, I started as, a, as what they call a contact rep or service rep in our telephone unit. And then I did claims work. I was a claims representative, and I finally was a supervisor at a teleservice unit. And the last job I had, I was a team leader, and I did reasonable accommodation requests. So we got to see all the new equipment, uh, not just blindness equipment, but everything from hearing aids to whatever. So that was a lot of fun and a lot of work, too. And what about attitudes towards blindness? Uh, you know, I've, I've always heard that. The, the, I know I started with New York State, and uh, I know there were people who did want wanted nothing to do with a blind person in our unit. I mean, they would do anything not to work with someone who couldn't see. How did you bridge the barrier and and break the barrier of attitude uh, with with being in Social Security? Well, um, it, it all varies depending on the person. Sometimes you do it with, you know, if your knowledge. If you know something better than most people do, then People start depending on you for it, that kind of thing. Um, that, I found, works. Um, when I was a claims rep, the office didn't know what to do with me for the first six weeks. So I kind of just sat around. And I decided, um, since I had it available to me, to familiarize myself completely with all of our manuals so I could know where anything was. So... Anytime somebody needed to know about railroad retirement or military, they'd say, hey, Doug, where is? So that's what I mean. If you can come really good at something and get people to recognize that you're good, then that's how you win them over. I was thinking maybe you could get into the Social Security system and, uh, and look at my claim and uh, look at my record and maybe quadruple my payments every month. Oh, no, not anymore. <laughs> In fact, security is so tight with that that once I got out of the field, I had no access to their mainframe stuff at all. Same here. I, I was a mainframe computer programmer, and when I left New York State, uh, all, the minute I left, I got, the, the, by the time I got home, my user ID and password were killed. I couldn't get into any of the systems I used to work with. So, <laughs> so that was, but, you know, but what about you know, for blind people? Uh, do you, did, did you have to handle, to talk to people about how they talk to blind people when they're dealing with people who can't see? Because I found that some people just don't get it. They don't understand it. Do have you, did you have to deal with attitude adjustments for some of the Oh, people? yeah. But, you know, eventually if somebody wants to learn, they will. There's people that don't. And with those, you just have to, like, recognize that and move on. And those that do, you, you, uh, you know, you educate through example. So when did, like, did you share your computer with other people? How, did, how long was it before you had computers that you could use? You know what, Jennifer? Um, Bill's a better person to talk about this to than I am because he actually got to do something I didn't. He attached, um, once he got Opticon training, they let him um, get a, one of those typing typewriter lenses for the Opticon and he could fill out his forms that way. Um, so oh, yeah. He, 
they were much more creative about letting uh, Bill do stuff than, than I ever got. When we got the new computer system, he was able to access it much quicker than, than, than I was. He used the Opticon to do that because he said he even took calls and would look on the screen and find the information and stuff like that using an Opticon. Yeah. I can't imagine ever getting fast enough. I remember where it was on the screen fast enough to do it on the phone. So oh, the Opticon was a was a godsend. I mean, I could not have worked alone in radio by myself and do transmitter readings and read the logs and... I had to get on some people because they'd want to try to write in cursive, you know, and they just print like, like everything else is on the page. But, yeah, the Opticon made a difference. You got pretty proficient, even if you only did 60, maybe 80 words a minute, but you learned where to go on the page. You know how to quickly move your camera around that page, and, and you could tell by the, you know, sometimes there are larger print areas or vertical or horizontal lines going across it, or you just learn different ways to to become efficient at it. But... Jennifer, you worked for the IRS. I don't know if you want to share any experiences there and what that was like. It, well, when I when I hired on, we were the first class that they didn't send to um, the blind people to like Little Rock or any place like that. And they they we had all of our instruction there, and they had some things in Braille, and of course we had readers, but but they were pretty good about providing equipment and things like that. Then, but it was a it was a challenge, some of those things, because they tried to show you, like, screenshots, and at the time, they were changing their their system to access the, the records, and the one that we were using because it worked with the screen readers was more text-based, and the new one was more graphics-based, and so people were supposed to put the descriptions of what they did in both services and they didn't always do that so sometimes you'd be on a call and there would be something we didn't have in our system that was in the other system and sometimes your supervisor if they liked you well enough would call you and say hey you should know this because it's over in the other system you know uh, this is a question that i'm going to ask you guys on the panel because i think that maybe and maybe it's a sensitive question do you think that we as blind people because we're older but it seems to me that the people coming up have, have a lot more opportunities because a lot more things are made accessible. But, you know, it seems to me that we maybe we had to work a lot harder to get things done back then. I mean, I was in college. I had to hire readers to do my reading for me. Uh, there was no such thing as, well, yeah, I could use recordings for the blind, but maybe the book would come six months later. Or maybe the professor would change the book and the book I had was outmoded. So maybe you guys could talk about that. Mike, you went to college. What were the challenges for you? And then we'll go around the panel. Well, I, first I want to say that goes both ways because before I decided to just totally commit to self-employment, I was trying to find work. And the problem is they use a lot of proprietary software. So there might be four or five different pieces of software you have to use. And the odds of all of those being accessible uh, aren't so good. So you have the same challenge in a different way. It's all online, it's all digital, it's all software-based, but you know a lot of that software is very proprietary and most of it's not fully accessible, if accessible at all. Some of it just has blank screens. As far as college, um, I did uh, a little bit of uh, RFB and D back in the day with the readers that would sometimes switch right in the middle or spend way too much time trying to describe a diagram. But eventually I was able to hire uh, readers because we had a lot of 
special books and needed to do it quickly. Uh, so that's kind of the way I approached that. I had an old Smith Corona typewriter, so I did my best to make sure I typed everything correctly for those assignments. <laughs> um, I remember my, I think it was the music appreciation teacher, and maybe I shouldn't have done it, but he, instead of having to write a paper, he let me actually create an audio production, a 30-minute audio production uh, about anything I wanted. That's and cool. So I did the Nothing kind of, wrong with is, that, Mike. Is, is Paul McCartney dead? You know, I went back to the, the audio they played back in Dallas in the late 60s and stuff and kind of redocumented it, modernized it. So that was kind of interesting, and it was really good experience. But the one thing I learned from that music appreciation I hold on to today is that the concept of egocentricity, people are not going to, for any extended time, listen to music they're not familiar with. So it's okay to play something obscure, but if you start playing obscure back-to-back, -back, you're going to lose your audience. It's just we're not wired to just listen to a lot of music we're not familiar with. But um, so, yeah, the typewriters and... Uh, uh, fortunately, it was a smaller campus. I had a mobility instructor come out about a week before classes started at O&M and, and walked around the campus and learned it pretty well. And it was always nice to find a young lady. Well, I'll be glad to walk with you. I'm like, okay, Brenda, let's go. So, um, and and I learned to break the, uh, you know, uncomfortability around blindness, you know, usually by making a joke or something. Uh, you know, we're just having fun with it, being very lighthearted about it. So that worked. And I was, I mean, I was, a, that was a high of my life. I was finally being in radio. Like Dave, you just go in, someone tell you what the equipment is. If you thought it was really complex, you might write it down. But after a while, you just memorize it. Okay. There's only 10 sliders on this board, you know, and you got three carts and a couple turntables and a couple open reels. And, you know, you just, you were hungry for it. So you just kind of ate that stuff up. I remember I was disappointed when I got in the radio. I thought there'd be these great, I thought the studios would just sound awesome, you know, and you go and have these cheap speakers and everything. But <laughs> so, yeah. Um, but yeah, doing carts and, and doing turntables and how to label stuff and, and putting little labels on top of the carts so you didn't cover up the labels in front. And, you know, just innovating, just figuring out as you go, you know, how you're going to accomplish various tasks but it was a small it was a community college so i had good support from the uh the instructors and i had a resource room i'd go over to the library and and they actually liked me because they said most of what they did was just um, kind of dealt with illiterate athletes and uh, had to deal with tests and sometimes i got the vibe maybe altering things so that they could continue to play baseball for the school and such but so so they liked me but yeah college was College was good. I think some ways now it could be harder because, uh, you know, there's a lot higher demands on you now because everything is all digital and you can research. And But a lot of the technologies are accessible, but I still talk to college students that are having difficulties. Well, there's one difficulty, Mike. Are you familiar with this thing? My, my stepdaughter, Adriana, told me, she says, you know, they don't use the chalkboard and the erasers anymore. They have a thing called Blackboard in college. I don't even know how that thing works. Can do? Have you played with it or have you heard about I it? I haven't. Um, so, I mean, some of those are accessible and, and some are not. So, yeah, it's it, you have different challenges now. There's a lot more material to go through. And, you know, a lot of the times universities won't step up and do the things they need to do. Or some professors are great, some not so much. You know, it just goes to whether they believe in you as a student. It seems one extreme or the other. They're either very supportive or they think, why are you even here? But it was a different day. I went to school from 81 to 83, just got a two-year degree. 
I went to a smaller community college with a 50,000-watt FM station, which was kind of unusual for college, and a lot hands-on. So you got a lot of on-air time, and that's really what I wanted was hands-on experience. So Hey, Jeff. Yes, Mark. You, you, you remember the, well, they used to call it recordings for the blind, but the RFB&D reel-to-reel tapes? I do. Well, not on all of them, but on some of them, I would randomly put radio station air checks at the end of the tapes where there was silence. <laughs> well, and, and and then did you? No, I don't. I didn't use RFB and DR or Recorders for the Blind that much because every time I would get the book list from the professor, he would change it, and it was a little tough to get to get them to record a book uh, when you didn't give them enough notice. And, and did you have to ta- Did you have to send those tapes back after you used them? Doug? Yes. Okay. Uh, Things I used to do on reel-to-reels, and those of you who got RFB and D tapes know how easily they broke sometimes. I have I actually learned to use little pieces of scotch tape and tape them back together. You might miss a couple words, but you could get the gist of what you were supposed to be reading. What about you? We'll talk, talk about that a little bit, Chris. You went to college. What was it like for you in your in your college days? I went to grad school in 1979 through 82, and I went back for a different set of degrees in 2003 through 2007, and it was quite, the two experiences were really, really different. One thing, I had access to UALR's library the last time, so I could read my own articles and stuff like that most of the time I could get them, but the other problem you face is like Mike was talking about access issues so it was a lot better in that I could do a lot more of my own reading but then you had to fight with websites and professors who maybe didn't put things up the same way all the time and every semester you'd have to go in and figure out okay how do I get this guy's handouts because it's different. What advice would you give to blind people who were going? Uh, you, I think, if I remember correctly, you were a counselor. You were uh, you were a counselor, right? Was a re, was a rehabilitation counselor? I don't remember, Chris. Are you? Tom. What advice would you give? Whether you are, and it sounds simple, but whether you're going to college or not doesn't really matter in this instance. Learn to be your own advocate. Don't depend on an agency for the blind or a disabled student association to do everything for you. Be your own advocate. Talk to your own professors. Talk to your own supervisors, uh, you know, Work it out yourself if you can. Dave? Yeah, that's... There you go, Dave. Turn my mic on. That would help. (laughs) Yeah, I'll tell you, um, we do a lot of... This is maybe a little bit of a different subject, but we do a lot of different things because we think out of the box because we don't see a lot of people right now because of the pandemic and all that kind of stuff. So when something happens or something breaks, you know, you kind of have to figure out what you're going to do to remedy the problem. And, um, well, like that receiver that you put on the bench, we had to find a way to keep it out of the weather. Yeah, so what I did, I'm, <laughs> I got this pill bottle, 
and I put the uh, the finder inside the pill bottle with a little hole in the bottom of it and connected it to our bench down there so now we have a we can if we get lost we can press the button and the finder will let us know where where the bench is and since the hole is in the bottom it's not likely to let at least enough water into hurt so when Chris got lost and you couldn't find it for a week you had to be worried no I'm just kidding <laughs> I'm just kidding <laughs> I'm sorry I had, guys. A, I had kind of a different way of doing that Dave I have a real low power FM transmitter. I used to leave that on in the house and it was low enough power that the, you know, you had to get pretty close to the house to even get it at all. But what I would do is pull the antenna up on my portable radio that I used. And so I could get it further away. And then as I got closer to the house to find it, I would, push the antenna down <laughs> this way i was able to find the house in in the winter time well, i did something like that only i would tune the dial up and down a little bit until the signal got wider i was closer to it but that's yeah pretty, that is pretty yeah. cool but the other just one quick other thing you talk about college my friend was the good old aph recorder with the button that would put the 60 hertz tones and he could record six hours because you had four tracks and half speed uh, so you could get six hours on one tape. So anytime I thought the professor was saying something of importance, I'd push that button down. And then when it came time right before an exam, I'd just cue and review through it and find those tones. And uh, that worked very well. I learned to take really good notes because I started out like Mike and using the, the tape recorder. But I found out I had to spend so much time later going back all those lectures to take notes that I just found out it was easier to get a legal pad and a slate and take my notes during class. You know what I did, Jennifer? I had a steno mask. I'm not sure if you guys saw that. That was made by a company called Talk Incorporated out of Long Island. Yeah. You'd plug this into a cassette machine, and as you and it had a, a it had a, a a button on it, or or, or a, and you would hold that button in and take notes, and then you would uh, and would, you let go of the button, it would turn off the cassette machine, even if you turn turn it off. It would use up the heck of your out of batteries in your cassette machine, so that was a a bit of a problem. But it it did work, and it worked quite really fast with a slate and stylus out of necessity. I wish I was good as a slate and stylus, but I when they school for the blind when they used to yell at me about using it, I hated using it, and I didn't I didn't follow uh, one of my teachers' advice because she didn't like me and I didn't like her, and I got had a bad experience with that. Pam. You have your hand raised. Can you um, uh, lower your hand and we can get to you? Pam Francis, go ahead, please. All right. There you go. Um, I had an interesting experience with college. I had a, they were actually sending readers from the reading lab just to, to read my material. And I'm, I'll, this is not going to work. I actually found somebody on the bus who went to the same school, same classes. We rode the, the public transit, just chatting, nothing. I wasn't recruiting necessarily. This gentleman says, I will read for you. And that is how I found my college reader. Honest to God, that, that's thinking out of the box. It, it, it really is thinking out of the box because you never really know, Pam. 
and that's pretty cool. That that is really pretty cool. Um, uh, and technology is is also great because, I mean, I know it's a little different, but when I talk about technology, there's a there's an app that you could get for your iPhone, and it works with different transit companies who participated, and it's called Move It M O V E I T, and I was surprised. I, I I planned out my route with the bus, and I. I keyed for a favorite stop, and I, you know, because you can look at all the, and it has every stop on the route. Now, the buses here talk at the key stops, but I had it planned so when it got to where I live, and it's called the apartment complex is called the Towers of Colony, and I had it planned out, and it worked perfectly. It makes a like a sound of a doorbell like a minute before your stop, and then as you get to the stop, it makes the sound of a doorbell and tells you what the stop is, and that's pretty cool. And it costs you absolutely nothing for this app, and it works quite well. And if a city like Pittsburgh has it, or maybe a city, I know it's available in New York. I definitely know it's available in San Francisco and in different very, very different cities. So if your city has it, it's very accessible and it works quite well. And it, it, provides, you with, it provides you with a lot of independence because sometimes I can't tell you how many times uh, I'll say, let me know when you get to the Towers of Colony. And the bus driver will say, yeah, yeah. And, and all of a sudden, he's past it, and he's about and halfway down. And they will forget you. And then they forget you, and then, they, then I got to ride back around the other way, possibly, uh, because in my area, it's like country roads here, in a sense, and it's really dangerous crossing the streets around here. So that could be a real bit of a problem. So so There's sometimes... Other, go ahead, Bill, Mike. Uh, two other things I wanted to mention. One, uh, you were talking about younger folks, but a lot of times, at least from what I've learned in the rehab space, a lot of people are blinded later in life. Uh, so they're requesting services later in life. It all isn't just all people coming right out of high school into college. But the other thing is there's a app that people have really been raving about for the iPhone called Just Press Record that not only makes great audio recordings, but also can do transcripts. So that might be something good for someone going to class if they could get a good audio recording and a text transcript, even if not 100% accurate. Wow, I wish I had that when I was in college, Mike. I got to tell you, I, I really do, because that would have really helped me out quite a bit. Let me tell you. Are there uh, certain phones that will work on? Well, I don't know. It's an iOS app. I don't know how far it goes back, but uh, but I, I think I actually do have it. I remember playing with it. I think it's got some noise reduction to it, but some people are raving about how good it sounds. So I got to take a look at it again because it gets rid of any background noise. Bill, you, you've been so quiet today. I, I, I am surprised, but uh, go ahead. Unmute yourself. Hey, you guys. You guys are talking about stuff on your college now, but see, I got to go back. Uh, of course, I went to trade school because I was a massage therapist for 50 years. But when I was in high school, of course, now I'm talking about in the 50s. So you guys weren't even born yet. But anyways, <laughs> <laughs> but we had, uh, where I went to school at ISB, typing was mandatory in the fifth and sixth grade. You had to take typing class. And you had to do it by touch. They wouldn't let you look at the keys or anything. In fact, most of the keys were covered or didn't have letters on them at all. But talking about do it, when I knew guys that went to college, and of course they used real to real tapes or readers back at that time, but I used to be able to, and myself, I got so efficient as a typewriter. Uh, Mike was mentioning old Smith Corona. I, I used a Remington. In fact, I still got my Remington portable. It's, it's, it's since 1952. But anyway, at when I was in school, I was able to type 110 words a minute. You could you could talk to me, and I could type. In fact, they wanted me to do medical transcription, but I didn't want to sit at a typewriter all day long. But I used to do work like that. And when I was working, when I went to school, uh, I had no problem 
because you know, most of the stuff I did was you know by touch and that anyway. But the but the uh, charts and the books and that, I had no one. I had pe- some people read it to me. I had no trouble with that. And then when I went to work, I had no trouble at work because I remember when I first went into the interview, I talked to the manager and the manager looked at me and he said, oh, I see you're legally blind. And I said, yeah, well, I could see some, but not uh, not that much. And he said, yeah. And I said, well, he said, uh, well, what do, you, what do you do if you trip on the stairs? And I said, well, the same as you, fall down. But I said, if it's, or try to catch myself, but if it's something on those stairs, it wasn't supposed to be that you could step on and trip I said, I'll sue you to the hilt. And he looks at me and he says, boy, you're really direct, aren't you? And I said, that's right. I said, I've always been direct. And he said, you're hired. Because when I was a kid, I worked on the farm. And I did everything on the farm. There was nothing I couldn't do except I couldn't cultivate. Because I, I couldn't see well enough to to um, not plow the, plow the rows out. And that didn't do good when you just plowing beans and corn or cultivating beans and corn you want to plow the rows out but i did everything i meant there was no nothing was ever stopped when i was younger in high in uh, my teenage years in high school in the 50s and that i meant I, I worked at the stockyard i even i even was an executor at a slaughterhouse for one summer for about two weeks oh wow thank you bill so, okay thank you well, I'm looking at the clock here on the wall, and it's just about 10 o'clock, so I think it's time for us to, uh, what do we, what do we, yep, like they say, it's coffee club time, well, it's demo time, so I'm going to bring it over to Chris and Dave, and they can talk about the demo that they're going to be presenting today. Well, it's almost demo time. Uh, I wanted to uh, <laughs> talk about something that, talk about thinking out of the box. Oh, go ahead. There was, Chris had a container of straight pins. And One she, of those plastic boxes, you know. And she had it on the kitchen table. Well, I didn't know it was there, and I knocked it off. The, all those little straight pins went all over the floor, and of course, it's a hardwood floor. So I'm tr- do, trying to figure do, out. Do you know what he asked me? He said, I guess you wouldn't have any idea how many were in there. <laughs> <laughs> No. So I, I thought about this for a little bit, um, and we used to have the, the, the first vacuum robot we had came with this roll of magnetic tape. And so what I did, I took this, I cut off a piece about three feet long, put it down on the floor, and you know that thing, I think we found every single one of them because those straight pins stuck to that plate. We just started dragging it around. Yeah, it was crazy. Anyway, uh, we had a request to do a demo, uh, rerun a demo, um, and we've had a lot of requests for this for the mandolin. Chris, you want to talk about that a little bit? Dave, of course, has been busy. He filled in for Bill Saturday and Sunday and ran Sports Lounge Live. We just didn't get a demo, so I said this would be a good time to run this one. So, a couple people have been asking about it for almost a year. This is called an Easy Slice or Safe Slice Mandolin. <clears throat> we bought it from QVC. Um, I do not have it with me, the... 
Uh, price is slightly changed, not by much, and the item number has changed. So if you go looking for it, just put in easy slice or put in mandolin and zakarian and it'll pull it right up but at any rate um if you subscribe to the coffee club list you'll get that in the info a little bit later this morning but it's wonderful because except for when you clean it you don't have to get near the blades at all in fact you can't um the way it's set up you just push the food down a chute into the blades and it does a really nice job so anyway um without it's about 38 minutes so sit back and have a listen and here we go good morning everyone it's time now for another demo and today chris and i made a purchase from well i should say chris did i made a purchase from qvc and um this product, we tried it, and it works like a champ. I was a little skeptical about this, and really, I believe Chris was too. Um, but anyway, this product is an easy slice upright upright mandolin. It can uh, slice, it can shred, and it can julienne. I believe I got that right. So the first thing I'll do is have Chris give you the information about this product. Someone had asked us um, not too long ago, we got a coffee club email asking about mandolins. <clears throat> and I have never had much luck using a one of those um, manual mandolins. But anyway, this seems to work great. Uh, it is called an Easy Slice Upright Mandolin, and that's M-A-N-D-O-L-I-N. It is by a chef named Jeffrey, G-E-O-F-F-R-E-Y, Zakarian, Z-A-K-A-R-I-A-N. If you go to QVC and you type mandolin in the search field, um, then you just look on down till you find easy slice the item no, or easy yeah easy slice the item number is k five zero 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 eight qvc's phone number is well they have two and they're both pretty much the same anymore one eight hundred three four five one two one two and one eight hundred three four five one five one five. Now the one two one two is still automated ordering, but so is the one five one five. But if you press zero, you can get a live person. The device is thirty one dollars and ten cents. Um, it's also available on Amazon for thirty nine ninety nine. We just purchased this thing, or received it yesterday, and we tried it out right away, of course. We had to rip it out of the box, which is the fun part. <laughs> and for those of you who care, it's green. Yeah. Okay. Which matters to me, but, you know. I think they have different colors, don't they? They do. It's a girl thing. Yeah, they do. Okay. Well, I don't care. I don't have to look at it anyway. But you can imagine it to be any color you want. Okay. When you take this unit out of the box, it comes in five pieces um, I have the unit obviously out of the box 
and the first thing I have is the unit itself and I also have a um, a drawer with a lip on one end and of course the opening is where you where your food goes whenever you use the mandolin and the food goes into this drawer and I'll get to how that works in, in a little bit. It doesn't look like it will but it will. I know. <laughs> We were a little puzzled about that, but... We anyway. called Ira and had them watch the video. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay, so we have the unit, we have the drawer, then we have, as I find it, another piece. Uh, the first part is the, the chute where you put your food in to slice it or shred it or <coughs> julienne it. And then you have a little pusher that fits inside of that. And then, the only other thing that you have is a little brush. And that is so you can, you know, wipe the uh, inside of the, where, where your uh, chute is uh, on, the, on the main unit itself. Um, you can wipe that off and you can wipe the bottom of the, uh, the pusher that slides inside this chute. Uh, you can wipe the little, it has like little... Uh, they feel like little pins on the bottom of this pusher. Like most pushers, it just kind of grabs a hold of the food and keeps it from sliding around while you push it into the blade. This is not electric and not battery operated. Isn't that clever? A product that doesn't use batteries. Or electricity. Or electricity. Okay, so I have this the unit laying on the table, and I've got the what I'm going to call uh, lengthwise uh, going uh, towards me and away from me. So the, the long end is, is going away from me. And it, it's approximately 10 inches long. And it's about 2 inches thick and about uh, f uh, what four is that? Inches. About 4 inches yeah. wide. It folds flat for storage and when it comes to you it will be folded flat. Right. The unit is folded flat right now. And so right now I'm I'm going to I'm going to flip this unit upside down because I want to talk about the back of the unit. And when I have it flipped upside down now, I have it lengthwise. The unit is upside down, but it's lengthwise from towards me to away from me. And the end that is away from me has a big round knob on the end of it. It doesn't turn, but it... Uh, looks like a knob. It, it, it looks like a knob. It's a thing you push down on. Yeah. Or you're it going would, to push down It would be your on. plunger, I guess you could call it. Okay, so... What I'm going to do is I'm going to reach my hands inside of the back of the unit. It's open, you know, so you can reach, you can see everything that's in there. And I'm, uh, I'm going to start with the end away from me. I have that, that knob. And then there's like a little tube that runs uh, from the knob into about the center of the unit. And I'm going to keep bringing my hands. Uh, I'll see a wide opening. And then I'm going to come to these little gizmos that I'm going to call fingers. 
Now, in the manual, it calls these knobs. I don't know why they call them knobs. But they don't look like knobs. They don't look like knobs. They look like little fingers. And <clears throat> the object of these... Flat uh, fingers. Flat fingers. They're, they're laying down flat, like into the lock position. And you have one right beside the other, but they're sort of angled from each other. And the object of these fingers, or knobs, as they call them in the manual, is you use the combination of these knobs, or fingers, to decide whether you want to slice or shred. Or julienne, matchstick, all that stuff. Or julienne, or, or whatever. And so by taking the end, you'll, you'll find on one end of each one of these fingers or knobs uh, you can put your fingernail into the one end and you can flip the finger or knob straight up and and then you turn the finger now I guess that's why they call it a knob if you turn it um, one direction or the other and I'm gonna have Chris describe you know exactly what that does you turn it like a key. You just grab a hold of it and turn it. Okay, and and between the two of these fingers, um, when you have them uh, flipped up, you can turn it clockwise or counterclockwise to decide whether you you know what you want to do with this unit. Well, Chris, if you if you want to describe, okay. Um. How, how these uh, fingers work. Go ahead, Chris. Um, okay, if you rotate the, the top one, if you rotate that, well, okay, let's just say, let's take both knobs first together. If you rotate both of them all the way counterclockwise until they stop. With them flipped up. Yeah, you have to flip them up. You can't turn them unless you flip them up because you can't get a hold of them. Um, if you turn them all the way counterclockwise, that's gonna be slice. And then you flip the and then you flip the fingers. Yeah, you can flip down them out of the way. They lock. Well, you right or left, kind of, but yeah. Okay, if you turn only the first one all the way clockwise that's julian if you turn the second one all the way clockwise and leave the first one all the way counterclockwise that's matchsticks and if you turn them both all the way clockwise that makes them a little thinner and then you can or a little less wide i should say a little narrower it's still a Julian, but it's a little, it's a little narrower, and it comes closer to a shred. And you adjust the thickness of the shreds and the slices with the dial. There's a dial. The we dial. Haven't, we haven't gotten to the dial yet, but we will. Okay, so that's how you, uh, that's how you adjust. Tell this thing what you want it to do. Their, their suggestion in the user guide is, and the user guide is also available on QVC, as are the recipes that come with it, which is really nice. They're downloadable. The user guide tells you to 
do one slice or shred or whatever and then check it and make sure that's what you want. Right. Okay, so now we're going to go back to where um, we stopped before I, we started with these fingers. And I'm going to bring my hands coming, looking inside the back of this unit, and I'm going to come below those fingers towards me, and I'm going to find this dial that Chris was just talking about. It's a big dial. And this dial's got uh, 30... About 40 positions. 43, I think, is what I counted. Positions, and they click when you turn them. They're little clicks, but if you go slow, you can tell. Right. And that decides on the thickness of whatever it is you want to slice. Like, you, uh, maybe if you want to slice and you want a thicker slice, use this knob. If you want thicker pieces that you're shredding or julienne or matchstick, um, you can adjust the thickness by using this dial. And so that's pretty much what is in the back of the unit. Okay, now I'm going to... The, the first thing that you have to do after you have examined that and you know what you want to do, whether you want to slice or whatever, if you have, if you have, if you turn this unit, I'm going to stand it up so that that plunger or that big knob is facing up in the air, up towards the sky, and I have the back of it facing my right hand, and of course, obviously, the left. Um, uh, part of the unit is the front of the unit, which we'll call the front of the unit. And on the back of the unit, if you come down along this, the from top to bottom, looking at the uh, the back of the unit, you'll find uh, it would be the widest point of the unit from front to back. And I've got it turned so that it is. Uh, the front's to the left and the back is to the right. And I'm going to take a couple of fingers on my left hand and hold uh, onto the front of the unit and take my other hand, right hand, and come down to the bottom of the, uh, the unit. And I'm going to pull the front. It opens up. It sort of hinges. It opens up. And then the back becomes... Uh, part of the back is a big opening there now since I pulled it apart until it stops and now the unit is sitting up by itself on a slant it sits up kind of like a oh anything that you unfold that has a wide base and a narrow top it's like a triangle almost yeah so it, it so if you're looking now I can I can turn uh, well I guess the next thing I'm going to do is I'm going to take this drawer piece that I said when you take it out of the box and you have this drawer and I got this drawer in my hand and one end of the drawer has a lip on it. Like or, a drawer pull. Yeah. Like you would use to pull kind of like a door out. handle sort of. And what you do is you come around to the back of the unit and there's a wide opening there and you're going to take the not the end with the lip but you're going to take the 
skinny end of the drawer and you're going to slide it in. It's going to go over the top of a bar. It's going to slide in as far as it'll go and then you push down on the uh, on the front of the drawer and the, the drawer then is in place. Okay, so now we got that's the we got the drawer in place. Now that's where your food is going to go after it's been sliced or shredded or julienne or whatever it is you're going to do. And now we're going to find the other piece which is the pusher pusher and food and shoot, food shoot. together. Okay. Now I'm going to lay those aside and I'm going to talk about the front of this unit. I have it from uh, the front to my left and the back of it where the drawer is to my right. And I'm going to start at the top and I'm going to bring my fingers down on the front and down and I'm going to, but first um, I see the knob. The knob is uh, locked down right now in on, the, the, on that in the plunger. position where you would fold it, I yeah. mean where you would store it. Okay, and right below the knob, come down about maybe an inch and a half, and you'll find a little, it's got three little lines on it. They go from right to left. They go, they go yeah, well, anyway. Well, if you were, yeah, they go across, not up and down. Right. It's a spring-loaded little, well, I guess you could call it a switch, but it's not really it's like a switch. It's a catch. And... <clears throat> Then right below that, if you bring your fingers on down, there's an opening. It's rounded at the top and square at the bottom. And that's where this chute goes. So the first thing I'm going to do now is I'm going to find the, uh, the chute and the pusher. And I'm going to take the chute in my left hand and the pusher in my right hand and I'm gonna match up the uh, pusher has to go inside this chute so it's the chute is rounded on the bottom and square squared off on the top try that again the uh, the pusher is is rounded the at the bottom on the one end and and squared off at the top and so is the chute well that the square parts actually going to become your bottom when you put it on so once you put the that onto the unit then we're going to come around to the front of the unit and I'm going to take the chute with the pusher in it in my left hand and I'm going to put the bottom of it has a kind of like a lip on the bottom of this chute and it's going to go down into the opening of the mandolin of the unit and then which it does, it slides right down in there. And then I'm going to find that, remember I said when you bring your hands down from the top of the unit down and you find that little thing with the three little bars on it, and you're going to take a hold of the bottom of that thing and hold it up and press the chute in and then let go of that bar. And it should lock. And it locked the chute into place. Now, 
if you wanted to, you wouldn't have had to put the, pr the pusher inside of that chute when you put it on. It might make it easy for you. I don't know. It made it easier for me to put it on with the pusher inside. But it just depends on what you want to do. I would probably, I might put it on without the pusher because it's just two pieces to hold, although they stay together very well. Yeah, they do. So I'm going to put that uh, pusher aside. I have the chute already locked onto the unit. Chris is going to talk just a little bit about that dial, uh, not the fingers. The dial. The, the dial, dial itself. Okay, I'm going to pull this over toward me with, <clears throat> with the food chute and pusher away from me. And if I reach in, there's a big dial underneath those knobs. You can reach right through the back, and it has a it does have a pointed end on it. And if you turn it all the way clock counterclockwise, I mean, with the pointer at six o'clock. Well, there's kind of a pointer. It's it's pretty good, but all the way counterclockwise is at zero millimeters. This thing is set up in millimeters. All the way, and you have to turn it. Oh gosh, you have to rotate it. Let's see. Almost 360 degrees. You get to 8 millimeters, and 8 millimeters is not quite a quarter of an inch. So that's your, your thickest slice is going to be about a quarter of an inch, and you can get it really, really paper thin. So As you turn it down. Yeah, as you turn it back um, counterclockwise. Um, so you can, like the, like they said, you need to put your potato in there or whatever you're going to slice. We're going to slice potatoes today. So you put that in there and you do your first slice and see if it's what you want. Yeah, today we're having fried potatoes and ham. and Fried potatoes and onions. It's going to be good. going to be good stuff. Now, when you take this unit out of the box, and we talked about that big knob that's on the top of the uh, mandolin. The plunger. The plunger. So what you're going to do now, because the knob is down right now, it's down against the, uh, the unit. So I'm going to sort of push down on the knob and turn it clockwise, and that comes up as a plunger. It stands up. Oh, that comes up a good... Uh, six inches, maybe. Yeah, somewhere around six inches. And so it's like it's like a tube that comes from the mandolin up to the knob. This is now what, that is un, un, unlocked. This is what moves your blades up and down. And once you have the unit together, unless you stick your hand in there on purpose when you're pushing it up and down, you're not going to come in contact with the blades at all. Right. Most well. We had a couple of man manual mandolins, and uh, I just about cut my I fingers think off. They're of those dangerous they for even sighted people. A lot of sighted people don't even like them. This one you can slice, and your your hands never get even close. No, because the food chute that you're pushing the food through with the pusher, it, it, that's what's keeping you away from the blades. <clears throat> okay, so now we've got the knob unlocked, and it's up in the air. The plunger is up in the air. The chute is installed. And I'm going to put my drawer, like I did when I was showing you earlier, 
in through the back of the unit and push it in until it stops and then I'm going to take my hand and push down on it and it locks the drawer into place. Okay, so now we're going to check out this slice and see how it is and I'm going to I'm going to turn this to to let's see till the knob is straight across. Let's see what happens. I don't know how many millimeters that that is. There's two slices. And what she did was push the plunger up or down and it springs back up by itself. What do you think? You want them a little thinner or is that good? It looks pretty good. It's a perfect slice. Okay. What she's doing, she has a potato in there and every time she pushes that plunger and One she potato's has her, done already. She has her hand on the uh, pusher. You sort of hold it. And as you're pushing the plunger up and down, you uh, sort of push down on the pusher into the chute. And she is slicing up. How many you got sliced? I've got two sliced up right now. So. Pretty amazing. I... And the fact that you don't have to touch any blades, you're not even close to the blades, it's it's wonderful. Especially for me, because I'm always cutting my fingers on things. Okay, I'm on the last potato, so we I thought about stopping it, but this goes so fast. Okay, that's done. That's five potatoes done. Just that fast. And we overflowed the drawer. <laughs> I wasn't looking and we overflowed the drawer. The slices started coming out over the edge of the drawer. <laughs> we should have looked at it before we put some other potatoes in I there. was busy. <laughs> but that's okay. I you had know, a bowl over here. And all of those slices, they're, they're perfect. They're perfect. They're, they're just perfect. I've never seen... I've never been able to get any slices this perfect. Yes, it, it, it really does a really nice job. You know, I don't know uh, what else I could say about that. It's just wonderful. It'll definitely get to live upstairs. Yeah, and when, when you fold everything up, when you, when you put it away, um, you know, you can, you can store it. Um, and which is nice because it doesn't take up a whole lot of room. Okay, then that, that the the slices are are good, and we're we're done with the, uh, the slicing of the uh, potatoes. And um, of course, you do the you know by using those fingers that we talked about earlier. You use those if you were going to julienne or or um, matchsticks match sticks or, or or whatever. And um, just check because their julienne is not quite what I think of as julienne. So, you know, I've used the terms that they have used so that you can find it in the user guide. But just check your first slice or first cut and make sure it's what you want. And if it's not, just adjust it. So then the last thing you want to do with this thing is you want to take, you want to remove uh, 
the chute from the front of the unit. So if I bring my hands down from the plunger, I'm looking at the front of the unit to where that little switch thing is with the little bars on it. I'm going to press that up and I can pull the chute and the pusher off of the unit so that it can be cleaned up. You stick them in the drawer because the drawer's got to be washed. And uh, the, the little potato crumb right there I found. Um, now that this brush that's that's with it, um, you can use the brush to sort of clean the inside. Um, you can you can take your hand and you can press down on the uh, plunger, stick your brush in there, and as you let go of the plunger, sort of move the brush uh, from right to left or whatever as you're pulling, letting letting the plunger up, and that'll clean the blades. That way. You don't have to even get near those things. Okay, now the uh, the drawer. You want to pull that out because uh, that's you know, about, uh, that comes out of the back of the unit. And then you take a hold of this after you after you clean it up. You know, wipe it off and stuff, which it really didn't make a mess. You might need to just go over the blades with that. You brush, might just but... want to go over it with the. With the with the brush or whatever. That's a good idea in case there's any food residue on the blades. And you take your hands and you take a hold of the. If I take a hold of the front of it with my left hand, I'd pick this thing up off the table, and I have the front in my left hand and and the back of it with it unfolded. I'm going to take the back and press it down to the front of the unit, and that folds the unit up. Then I'm going to take the plunger, I'm going to press it down, and as after I press it down, I sort of hold on to it and turn it counterclockwise, and that locks the plunger down for storage. It's a neat little thing because you can just slide it in the side of the cabinet or even a drawer or whatever. We don't have, we're not blessed with drawer space, so I'll just slide it in the side of the cabinet. And uh, it'll just stay right there. Well, that's how the unit works. And as I always say, if I'm sure that it does what it's supposed to, it does what it's supposed to do. And so, I really like this product. Yeah, it's a product that will be around for a while. This would be really great for, like, slicing cucumbers and, you know, making salads and things like that. Uh, it, it, it really is amazing and and the fact that um, when you're using it you don't have to worry about cutting your fingers on the on the blades and the slices are impressive they really are I was I was impressed by this unit of course if you use sliced carrots you know they're gonna be you know the carrot size slices the one thing you cannot do and I don't even care is you can't get ripple slices but that I'm okay with that Anyway, um, that's how the unit works. And Chris, if you want to give the information about the product. This is called an Easy Slice Upright Mandolin. It's by Jeffrey Zakarian. That's G-E-O-F-F-R-Y. I mean, R-E-Y, sorry. G-E-O-F-F-R-E-Y. Zakarian, Z-A-K-A-R-I-A-N. <clears throat> it's available at QVC. Its item number is K50008. 
You may order it from qbc.com or you may call 1-800-345-1212 or 1-800-345-1515. You may do it through automated ordering if you have a Q card or a credit card on file or you may press zero and speak with a live person. Right now, the unit is $31.10. You may also order it from Amazon if you would prefer, but it is $39.99 there. It does come in colors, and I don't know offhand, I don't remember what all the colors are, and I don't know which colors they have left. I think it comes in four colors. Probably black, white, I know sage, and I don't know what the other one is, but at any rate, just be prepared to answer that question because you're going to be asked what color you want. And you can just ask them what they have and see what they say because that'll change from day to day. And that's how you can order this item. And again, mandolin, if you want to put it in the search field, is M-A-N-D-O-L-I-N. Well, that's how the unit works. We're happy with it. If you have any re- any questions about <laughs> this product, you can always email Bill Sparks at Bill at BillSparks.org. That's Bill at BillSparks.org. And if he doesn't have the answers to the questions, he'll get a hold of us and we'll make sure you get the answers to the questions you might have. Or if you have any comments or questions regarding this item during this live broadcast, you may reach us by calling 646 646- Five five eight eight six five six. That's six four six five five eight eight six five six. Press pound as instructed. When you're asked for a meeting ID, enter eight four eight seven two five four five zero. That's eight four eight seven two five four five zero. Press pound again, which you will be asked to do. Then when you're asked for a user ID, press pound one more time and you'll be in the Zoom room with us where you may ask your question or make your comment regarding this item. Well, that's all the time we have for this demo. Stay tuned next week for another, another exciting demo. Well, I got to tell you, you outdid yourselves again, even even if it's the second time around, Chris, Dave, you did a really good job on that demo. And... Uh, I was going to say, even I could probably learn how to use this this, this device. So, But I won't, I won't say that too loud. Yes, but. you could, Jeff. It, I love it. Out of everything every demo you've ever done, that's one of my favorite devices. I think before that you did you demoed something. I don't remember what it's called. I call it the see and say because you pull the little cord and the thing spins and yeah, pull and chop. So, But this blows that away. I mean, I, my onions and peppers and yellow squash and potatoes and they're – little device yeah it's it's great i really like it you you can do it either way um i believe i peeled these because i think we were making hash browns but you wouldn't have to okay because I was thinking if you, you could you can make French fries with those, but you don't have to peel the potatoes to make French fries. I know a restaurant that doesn't peel the potatoes when they make fries. Oh, when we make fries, we don't peel them. But for hash browns, I usually do, and scallop potatoes, I do. Okay. Well, we have one hand raised from Joe Sorensen out in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and I know JR is here. His uh, sister, Marianne, is, lives in Boulder, Colorado, and I know there are people who are concerned about that. And, and so uh, let me just admit, Tim, there we go. So, Joe, what, what is your question? Please unmute yourself. Oh, the audio now unmuted. 
Oh yeah, I, I was just going to say, old demos never die; they just fade away. Thank you, Mister MacArthur. <laughs> you got it. Anyway, I, I I I I have worked in radio, and one innovative thing I did. This was before the talking watch. I I would do recordings of WWV so I could get the correct time, and then I I, I had a. Radio Shack had a WWV radio, so I would I, I would set the tape and put put the ear, little earplug in my ear. Then 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 later on with with a talking watch and stuff, then I, I didn't have to do that. But actually, I, I I originally got that idea from Tim when he was doing some radio at at Mankato State. So that innovative. Plus, I had Braille all over the place, and I had people reading titles and artistry of of the albums on cassette and tape, so over. that all, all, all that we had to do was just put the artist in Braille on the, on, on the album itself. I had an, this is Ellen, I had an interesting experience too when I was taking uh, classes after I moved out here from El Magordo after I graduated high school. And um, I was the only one that was visually impaired uh, in the class. And so, and I had a abacus. Who remembers abacuses? Anyway. Oh, yeah. Uh, the Kramer yeah. Abacus. They, that was very popular back in the late 60s and 70s. Yeah. But see, I had one and I knew how to use it. Now, I was taking a math class and I had to teach my helper how to use the Abacus so that way she could help me with my math work. It was pretty, it worked out pretty well, but it was rather, I found it very fascinating because of that. So. Did you have a big one, or did or did you have more than one hooked together? Mm, no, I just had the the regular one, just the Jimmy just one, and it and that was pretty good. And I just found that so fascinating. And then um, also, I went to the library, and I was able to do um, use the computers up there in the library and, and get uh, some my schoolwork done that way. No, I like that because it was nice and quiet and I could work. That is pretty cool, Ellen. I could never figure out how to use it. I got to use it a little bit, but uh, they, there's, a, there's a thing called Chisholm where you use, it's not the abacus, you use your fingers to do the same kind of thing and each finger is a different like ones, tens, hundreds, et cetera, like that. But uh, that yeah. is pretty cool, Ellen. Thank you very much. Thank you for telling us all about that. I appreciate that. Thank you. We have one more hand from Karen. I believe it's Karen out in, uh, what is it, Knoxville, Tennessee, or someplace like that. Go ahead, Karen. Unmute yourself. It's star six to unmute yourself. Go ahead. Hi. I've got a question about the mandolin. Uh, does it chop, or does it just slice in various increments and the styles? Well, um, I believe yes it it shreds you can shreds. have different sizes of shreds and you can have different sizes of slices it does not actually chop per se but you can choose your shred slice so it's it, or your shred size so it's I, I i guess it depends on what you were doing um most of the time, shreds would be fine, and if you wanted a chop, you could use bigger shreds, but it doesn't chop, per se, like a food processor. Oh, okay. 
when you were doing the potatoes, how large can can you slice them as long uh, as uh, large as what they call home fries or cottage fries? Um, you, it's going to be shape, shaped whatever potato you put down that tube so Mm -hmm. the slices are going to be round or if you have to cut your potato in half they're going to be half rounds but you can adjust your thickness yes oh okay that's interesting and i really enjoyed the demo of the bread maker a few weeks ago Good. Did you see? We did two of those, so you could I, I make like a choice. The, I think I would. I would like the Zakarian. The, the Zakarian. Yeah, that's the one I like. I like both of them, but the Zakarian is my favorite. Good. Okay. Thank you. Thank you very much, Karen. Always a pleasure hearing from you. Um, I just uh, when Joe mentioned when he was talking about radio, maybe think of three more things we did back in the day. One of his. Fortunately, the uh, sharp talking times had just come out. So our news would be at 15 minutes after the hour from the source. So I would set that thing so that 15 after was zero, zero, and uh, use it to back time that way. Uh, the other thing, I had a NOAA weather radio so I could get the extended forecast. And then I would call <laughs> the local time and temperature. Remember those old things? The, oh, the yeah. bank oh, yeah. and the time <laughs> and the temperature and get the current temperature outside. So. Boy, I used that, that was my that was my savior when I was working at WJPZ in Syracuse. I'd call that time and temperature number. The time was always a little bit off, but the temperature definitely it was great for getting the local temperature. That it it really it really worked well for that. I had to t- I I gotta say that. Now I wrote hey, on uh, like the songs the length, though, but my friend the late Steve Sheely memorized them all. So I'm curious, Dave, how you back timed in the seventies? Talking clocks and stuff. Go ahead, go ahead, Tim. Oh, I was going to mention that. Um, speaking of logging and things like that, um, I borrowed a IBM electric. Well, it was a brailler, braille typewriter, um, and the secretary used to write the logs for me that way, um, and that worked really nice. The only problem I ever had is when she decided to try and use grade two and she didn't really know the signs, but on the IBM, a lot of the shifts were contractions, the shifts of letters, like the shift of the Y was the A A and D sign, things like that. And uh, I told her to go back to (laughs) using grade one. That was a nice little typewriter. We had that when I was in high school, if I remember correctly, at some point. Uh, that was a pretty nice little machine. It's too bad they don't make it anymore because it, it did work quite well. And it was really good at correcting things. If you backspace and you got to get rid of a Braille dot, it was pretty good about that. I remember that, Tim, very well. Um, I want to appeal. I know you have, you have your hands raised, but, but we have JR here in the meeting. I think I want to make sure he's still here. I am still here. And you are here. Your sister lives in Boulder, Colorado, and there were people who had written to me privately on at my All Things Radio email address who were concerned about you. So maybe you could just briefly tell us about uh, have have you talked to Marianne and and uh, what's going on from from her perspective and uh, tell us about her. And real quick, after that, I have a call. All right, very good. I'm sorry. Go ahead, sorry. go ahead, Jr. And then we'll get to, to the voicemail. Okay. 
Um, actually, I read about this on Facebook about the shooting. So I immediately um, sent her a text and said, hey, are you okay? That kind of thing. Uh, then I called her and she kind of like hung up on me. But because she was there starting to get all some press information out. Um, as people know, there was 10 people that lost their lives in uh, Monday night or Monday afternoon around 2 o'clock out in Boulder, Colorado, where my sister lives, um, at the King Supermarket, where um, my sister actually goes and shops there. So knowing that, uh, knowing that I have been at the store myself, you know, and, and people were very friendly there. So um, so we we're kind of, I was kind of concerned, making sure that she wasn't there, obviously. Um, haven't really had a, much of a, a dialogue with her or dialogue. Um, she basically has done some text and everything. Um, but she, I, I think she knew some of the people that did get shit, that did lose their life. Um, obviously there's three people in the store that lost their life. So, um, not sure who they all are. I didn't uh, read that information, but she appears to be the important thing to me. And, you know, I feel horrible for others, but I'm, I'm happy to uh, say that so far, I do not know anybody out there that's that are the 10 people. And, and that's a horrible way to look at things, but because I, I do feel horrible for the, you know, the, the families of, of those that did lose their life, just doing their job and just being in the store shopping yeah that makes me think like what would i do if i was in that situation if i was in that store you know what approach would i take would i just try to scramble in a direction would i try to hide myself somehow you know you're trying to wonder how you would deal with that i know one of them was an instacart shopper it is horrible it is very bad that's not a good thing to happen to anyone and uh I don't want to get into the politics of it because uh, there are people on both sides of the gun issue, but definitely something has to be done. That's all I will say. Tim, do you want to go to your voicemail, please, and let us hear what, that, what that's all about? All right. Here we go. I hope you'll be able to hear this, I think. Hi, Coffee Club people. This is Debbie in Lafayette, Indiana, and this question is for Chris. Um, I have an Instapot that's been sitting here for a while, and I'm not sure how to begin to go about using it. I was wondering how you learned to use yours and maybe what sites you use. I know there is some stuff on YouTube, but any advice you could give me would be super. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. There you go. That she was talking about? The instant pot. Oh, the Instant Pot. Well... I guess it depends on which instant pot you have. I don't know if she has the Wi-Fi or exactly what, but there are some good videos on YouTube. You just put in instant pot. And I particularly like the videos done by Cooking with Doug because he generally does a pretty decent job of explaining what he's actually doing. Uh, sometimes... It's not perfect, but he does a pretty good job in general. So, Yeah, he's really good. He does a lot of air fryer stuff. I learned a lot from him in that space. He does have some Instant Pot videos. 
Is it easy to use, Chris? Uh, I mean, I, I, can you get a blind person to do everything that a sighted person to do, or what can they do? It depends on the one you have. If you have the Wi-Fi one, pretty much yes. Um, if you're if you're a decent iPhone user, but if you're not, then you've got some menus to contend with, and it's probably not. You can do some things, but it might be a little harder. You might have to use a lot of the default settings. Okay. I have the original one with the Wi-Fi and. The I actually wrote down the buttons, so if um, anyone has that, but there are different units. And now they have the, the lids, the newer units, I guess. It's the air fryer with them. They're not accessible. Yeah, uh, we so ordered like, one. It's, it's flat screen. It's a great idea. It came on Tuesday. It went back on Wednesday. In part, not so much because of the touch screen. I think I could have learned that. There's only four buttons, and I don't care that much about the menus necessarily But uh, on that. But it was not consistent. It, sometimes it would beep, and it would change settings, and that's how it's supposed to work. But sometimes it would not beep, but it would change. And sometimes it would beep, and it wouldn't change. So it just wasn't consistent enough for me. So if I were to buy an Instant Pot, could I could I set it up myself with Wi-Fi? Am I going to have problems with that, or is, am I going to need sighted assistance to do that? You can set it up yourself. Okay. Yeah, it's it's pretty usable. We, I they broke the accessibility. Uh, they did for a while, but it's been fixed now, so it works. Well, I will tell you, Chris. The I always say the necessity is the mother of invention, and you certainly have. Uh, really overcome any, any anything you buy you seem to be able to figure out how to use i don't, I don't now maybe you return more that you're not telling us about but everything you seem to buy you just seem to figure it out mostly we do figure it out and uh it's getting close to time to wrap up i do have a recipe if you guys well, want a recipe, recipe for reese's loaded cookie bars listen up jenny you probably like this one one 17-and-a-half-ounce package of Betty Crocker chocolate chip cookie mix. One cup of, well, I mean, one-fourth cup of Hershey's natural cocoa. One-half cup or one stick of softened butter or margarine. Two tablespoons of water. One egg, slightly beaten. One-half cup plus two tablespoons Reese's Pieces from 10-ounce bag, two tablespoons of Betty Crocker sprinkles, and that's kind of optional, one-half cup Reese's Baking Cups and Pieces candy from an 8-ounce bag. You're going to preheat your oven to 350, spray the bottom and sides of an 8 by 8 pan in a large bowl with a spoon. Mix cookie mix, cocoa, egg, water, and softened butter until a soft dough forms. Stir in one half cup of the peanut butter chips, and that's when you put in your sprinkles if you're going to use them. Spread your dough into a pan. Sprinkle your candies and pieces over the top. Bake for 22 to 26 minutes or until set around the edges. Cool for 30 minutes. Meanwhile, microwave the remaining two tablespoons of peanut butter chips on medium for one minute. 
stir. Continue to microwave in 10-second increments until you can stir smooth. You want to try not to get it super hot. Place this little bit of mixture in a small Ziploc bag. Cut off the corner, making just a little hole. And squeeze it over your bars, just kind of in a swirly pattern. Doesn't really matter. Just squeeze it over your bars and let it set for an hour. Yum. I'm hungry already. That would be really good. I just, I just the found the recipe, I, so we haven't made it because I don't have all the stuff. But it is a Betty Crocker recipe, and I know theirs are kitchen tested, so I know it works. I just gained 100 pounds. <laughs> yeah, that would go well with my Jeffrey Bennett-style coffee this morning. <laughs> yes, my Jeffrey Bennett-style coffee is where the spoon stands up straight in the cup, Doug. That's the problem, you know. <laughs> yeah, Doug's going to make those and ship them out to everybody across the United States. You don't want me to do that. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, I got to tell you, 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 you outdid yourself again. You did it a great job. You outdid yourself with these recipes. I'm telling you, maybe you should be working for QVC too, Chris. So I'll tell you, you kind of have a second job. <laughs> well, one thing about it, I would get a discount on whatever we bought, so... That would be nice. And I have a friend that might not be such a bad idea. <laughs> I have a roommate from college whose wife really loves QVC, and they actually went to the QVC in Westchester, Pennsylvania, and got a tour of the place. And, of course, you know what they do. They give you a tour of the studios, and I think you get to meet some of the hosts and stuff like that. And as you leave the building, you know where you end up. You end up in the gift shop where you can buy all the QVC products. Either they either you buy them and take them home, or you, or you buy them and have them shipped out to you. But the, it's a, it, a huge facility out there. It's a very big. It facility. used to be that Mall of America had a QVC outlet. I don't know if they still do. We were there in 1998, I believe it was, and Mom and I went to the QVC outlet that was there in the mall. I think it's gone. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. I think I think here in Bradenton or something like that, somewhere in, close to Sarasota in Florida, they have a home shopping club place. Out yeah, home shopping networks out there. That's where they do their their stuff. They're out of Florida, so you got and they're, of course they're all owned by the same company. QVC and HSN are owned by the same company, so a lot of times you'll see a lot of the same products on both of those particular. Channels. They may be presented differently, but, but you see a lot of the same products on the channels. But they actually have a store. But you can go and we had an opportunity to go tour QVC when I was in Philadelphia, but I had to make a choice. We didn't have enough time to do everything, and I had to make a choice between touring QVC and going to Hershey to tour the chocolate. So I chose the chocolate. chocolate one. <laughs> yep. And I've by been the way, the closest uh, outlet store by from QVC to us is 938 miles to your east. <laughs> wow. So evidently, it's not there anymore. <laughs> and and I've been to the QV to the Hershey uh, tour. That's a really nice tour. And of course, they have you, they have all kinds of souvenirs that you can buy at the gift shop as well as those. I'm not just talking about uh, candy, but you could buy. Uh, soap that has the Christmas tree they, ornaments and everything. They have everything Somebody. you can think about there. So, you definitely uh, was a definitely enjoyable. I'm sure you did. You enjoy Philadelphia as well, Chris. Yes, 
I did. Well, I see it's almost coming up to parting time. We have about two minutes to go. I want to thank everyone, everyone for joining us on the Coffee Club and thinking out of the box. I think we all thought out of the box. And maybe we're maybe after the show is over, we're going to crawl into little boxes for a while. But we, I'm just kidding. But we all thought out of the box, and uh, we all wish Bill well. And Jennifer, you tell him that uh, that give give him our best for everyone on the coffee club. I know uh, when he gets home today, you'll probably you know be picking him up in the hospital. You you tell Bill that we uh, we really do miss him, and uh, we hope to see him back as soon as possible, Jenny. Well, he must he must miss us because he called me during the demo and he said he listened to the first hour. Oh, oh, okay, oh. that's good. Remember, I will not be on today on my regular show. Hopefully, he'll be back tomorrow. And, and let's hope. thanks to Doug for coming by and yeah. helping out. Yeah, thank I you, didn't Doug. do anything, but uh, here we are. <laughs> but we appreciate it, Doug. Uh, we should have asked you to do the Soul Express today instead, right? <laughs> <laughs> All right, Dave, I'm going to turn it over to you, and you can uh, wrap this up, and we'll say thank you, everybody. It was great hosting. I've never done this before like this, and uh, i got to... Got to thank everyone for helping me out. Without all of you guys, we just wouldn't have a coffee club. Thank you, guys. 